0: Welcome to Classic Lutheran Preaching, C.F.W. Walther. C.F.W. Walther was a parish pastor, later professor, and first president of Concordia Seminary in St. Louis, Missouri. He was also the first president of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. These sermons were preached from 1840 to 1870, predominantly in congregations of the St. Louis area. Unfortunately, we do not know the specific dates and locations of most of these sermons as they have been lost to time. These sermons were originally preached and published in German and translated by Donald Heck. They're available in two volumes from Concordia Publishing House, St. Louis, Missouri, cph.org. Thank you for listening. the ninth Sunday after Trinity, Luke 16, 1-9. Grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God and of Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Dear friends, in Christ Jesus, these days, many hold that complete equality, particularly in temporal wealth, is the only means by which all men can be equally happy. If people would be neither rich nor poor, Then the golden age predicted by the poets of almost all nations would come true. The world would become a paradise. The countless sobs of the miserable would be stilled, and all humanity would become one great, happy, and blessed family. Others go even farther. They maintain the fact that there are rich and poor. One owns a great, magnificent palace, while another can scarcely find shelter. Great tracts of land belong to one, while another cannot call a foot of ground his own. One controls the products of the earth, while another cannot pluck the fruit from one of the countless fruit trees of the earth. One can feast, while another must starve. One can wear costly clothing, while the other is scarcely able to cover his nakedness. All this points to universal injustice. They say all enter this world with absolutely the same rights. All have equal claim to its soil, to its products, to its wealth. To be a rich man and a thief, many consider the same thing. They deem the government that protects the rich in his possessions, the appointed public protectors of crying injustice. Now, if it is true that the human race had remained in the state that it was when God first created it, If sin had not come into the world, there would be no such inequality among men, by which one's lives magnificently and joyfully all the day, while another starves and cries for help unheard. The whole world, with all its wealth and joys, would rather be a great common well from which everyone could draw according to his pleasure and need, than everyone, without asking, what do I get for it? would serve society with his gifts, powers, and means as much as he can, and enjoying the same privileges as everyone else, would help to advance all to the extent of his powers. We, however, are fallen creatures. By nature, self-love and selfishness live in our hearts. If there were no mine and yours, if there were no law which protects the possessions of the one from the rest, if all had equal right to everyone, and everything. All would want to enjoy everything, but only a few would work for the benefit of all. Complete equality would not turn the earth into heaven. It would rather turn the earth into hell. God has therefore not only written the command, you shall not steal, in the hearts of all men, but also publicly and solemnly proclaimed it from the flaming Mount Sinai through his chosen servant Moses. With this command, He has erected a fiery wall around the possessions of everyone. As the angel stood before the entrance of paradise with the flaming sword, so the command, you shall not steal, stands as God's threatening catcher before every man's house, home, garden, field, and property. The wall men originally may have been on equal footing. No person has a claim over against God. After God divided the wealth of the earth through his wonderful government and his holy command, you shall not steal. No one can appeal to the original equal rights of all men and the treasuries of the world. Solomon quite properly says in Proverbs 22.2, The rich and the poor meet together. The Lord is the maker of them all. Whoever calls the difference between rich and poor, between great and humble, between authorities and a subject, a state of injustice, insolently calls God, the Lord himself, who has the power to do what he wishes with his own property, unjust. For God himself has ordered this difference among us fallen men. Although every person can say with perfect right over against another person, this is mine, even the richest who commands millions among men cannot say of a drop of water over against the Lord, this is mine. Though before men we are owners and masters, before God we are nothing but managers. And it is this truth which the Lord teaches us in today's gospel. Let that be the subject of our common devotion. Luke 16, 1-9 Jesus also said to his disciples, There was a rich man who had a manager and charges were brought to him that this man was wasting his possessions. And he called him and said to him, What is this that I hear about you? Turn in the account of your management, for you can no longer be a manager. And the manager said to himself, What shall I do, since my master is taking the management away from me? I am not strong enough to dig, and I am ashamed to beg. I have decided to do so that when I am removed from management, people may receive me into their houses. So... Summoning his master's debtors one by one, he said to the first, How much do you owe my master? He said, A hundred measures of oil. He said to him, Take your bill and sit down quickly and write fifty. Then he said to another, And how much do you owe? He said, A hundred measures of wheat. He said to him, Take your bill and write eighty. The master commended the dishonest manager for his shrewdness. For the sons of the world are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than the sons of light. And I tell you, make friends for yourselves by means of unrighteous wealth, so that when it fails, they may receive you into eternal dwellings. So far our text. The dishonest manager, a warning and an encouragement. The warning, never to forget that we are not masters, but only managers and the encouragement to use our temporal goods in such a way that we reap an eternal reward. We pray, Lord God, Heavenly Father, how richly you have endowed every one of us. How could we name all the possessions which you have entrusted to us? They are countless. Alas, we must confess that we have only too often forgotten that we are not masters, but only managers of what you have given us. With what should we have sought your honor alone? We sought our own. With what we should have served you and our brothers alone, we have served ourselves. We have squandered your property. We have been dishonest managers. Your judgment would, therefore, be righteous if in your anger you would say to us, you may no longer be manager. But, O Lord, in your long-suffering and goodness, you have not carried out this sentence against us. You have still given us time to become wise. Today, through your holy word, you issue a gracious warning. Let your word prosper, that we may receive a salutary fright from the accounting which you will someday demand of us, that we may decide to become faithful managers, and finally be admitted to your eternal mansions. Amen. Ever since man fell, he has wished to be his own master. This is the root of of his ruin by nature every person is convinced that he is the absolute master of all which belongs to him if a person has outstanding gifts a keen intellect excellent skills and ability and the like he supposes that this is his property which he can use for his own needs and no one dare ask him what are you doing especially is this true with the so-called good things of this world If he has prospered through the work of his hands, or through his business enterprise, or if he has come to him by inheritance, a gift, or the like, he proposes to do with that as he likes. He intends to speak like God. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Matthew 20. But what does the Lord say of this in our gospel? As we have heard, he tells a parable that begins with the words, There was a rich man who had a manager. Now, according to these words, what is the man's relation to his temporal goods? Of all he has, he is not the master but only the manager, a steward. The master of all things is God. He is the only wise being, the only authority, and a mighty, almighty being, the only rich being, to whom praise, glory, and honor is due. In himself, man is destitute. Over against God, he can call nothing, absolutely nothing, but his debt of sin his own. Even his body and soul is not his, but the Lord's. Man owns nothing. What he has, he has from God. It is God's gift. And what he has from God is something about which no person can brag that it is his own property. God can reclaim and take it back at any second. God makes a person rich and poor. He exalts and humbles. He gives and takes as pleases him. Everything which man has is, therefore, only lent him by God, merely entrusted to his administration. Though a person may have control over thousands and millions of dollars, he is still only God's treasurer. Though a person may possess a most profitable business and control vast resources, he is still only God's manager. Though a person may call many homes and palaces his own, though he may hold clear title to a great tract of land, he is still only God's tenant. So, what would you call it when a person attaches special importance to a good intellect or other gifts which God has given him? What would you call it when a person, through God's gift and grace, acquires great knowledge and skills, but despises others who have not received it? What would you call it when a person wants to be especially honored and rule over others because God permit, has permitted him to be wealthy? As the saying goes wealth breeds boldness a person who is proud because of gifts of divine goodness instead of being humbled and despises others and exalts himself over them is like a treasurer who though he himself is deep in debt nevertheless looks down upon others with proud contempt because he can pay out the money of his company what can be more foolish yes more laughable than such pride What do you have, says the apostle, that you did not receive? If then you received it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? 1 Corinthians 4, verse 7. The Lord continues his parable and says, Charges were brought to him that this man was wasting his possessions. And he called him and said to him, What is this that I hear about you? Turn in the account of your management, for you can no longer be manager. We see that because man is not the answer and the master, but only the manager of his property. He cannot do as he likes with it. He dare not think that it had been given to him for his own use, for his own honor, for his own desires. He must rather treat it as someone else's property. He must use it as the Lord God has directed. And this Lord will some day demand a strict accounting from every person of the use which he made of his property and gifts in what an entirely different light appears the property and gifts which a person has. Usually, one has a completely different attitude. Perhaps, my dear hearer, you have many wonderful gifts, more than others. You perhaps have the gift of comprehending something quickly and clearly and judging keenly, or an unusual skill, or the gift of oratory, or the gift of managing the most complicated business or a trade, and the like. That flatters your pride. Be warned, my dear hearer, all of these gifts and abilities are not yours but God's. Of all these gifts and abilities, you are not the master, but only the manager. Woe to you if you try to advance yourself with them. Even of these, God will some day hold a strict accounting. Or perhaps you have a position of importance and honor, enjoy special respect, and have great influence with many. In your circle, you are a person of importance, a man upon whom much depends, whom many imitate, to whom many look, on whom many depend. That tickles you? I say to you, be warned. Also of these you are not master, but manager. Woe to you if you use them for your honor and not for the purposes for which all this is lent you by God. Your accounting will be most strict. Or perhaps you live in easy circumstances. Yes, are wealthy. Are you spirited and happy for this reason? I say to you, be warned. In men's eyes, you seem to be richer than others. But before God, you are as poor as everyone else. Of all your thousands, not one cent is actually yours. You are only placed over more than others are. On you is laid only a greater responsibility. For behold, God will some day demand of you a strict accounting of how you used every penny of your thousands of dollars. Everyone to whom much was given, says the Lord, of Him much will be required. Luke 12:48 O oh, my friends, learn from this how well God means to deal with those who go through life in humble circumstances, and how foolish it is to seek after wealth, honor, and other great worldly things. Whoever does that strives for nothing else than a difficult life and death and some day for a strict accounting and judgment. For those who wish to be rich or also honored fall into temptation and a snare and into many foolish and hurtful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition. It is said that when an esteemed bishop lay on his deathbed, he cried out, Alas, if I had been a swineherder instead of a bishop, I could perhaps die peacefully and happily. Oh, accounting, accounting, how you frighten me. Did those early Christians do right? When they, in fear of being lost in this world with its goods, joys, and honors, sold everything, gave it to the poor, and fled into deserted wilderness? Oh, no! Though the danger that lies in the property which God gives us is great, the blessings it contains is just as great. As Christ presents the dishonest manager for our warning, so also he presents him to encourage us to use our temporal goods in such a way that we benefit eternally from them. The Lord tells us more about the dishonest manager. When his master had given him notice, he said to himself, What shall I do, since my master is taking the management away from me? I'm not strong enough to dig, and I'm ashamed to beg. I have decided what to do so that when I am removed from management, people may receive me into their houses. Thereupon the manager called the debtors of his master and remitted a considerable portion of each one's debt, in order to make them his friends in time of trouble. When Christ continues, The master commended the dishonest manager for his shrewdness, for the sons of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than the sons of light. This sounds strange. Does Christ mean to praise him for trying to help himself in this dilemma through deceit? Does Christ tell his Christians to imitate him? Far be it. No, the Lord only means to say that this is godless men and how godless men know how to manage the property of his master so that it provided for his future security. So man should also use the property of the Lord his God in such a way that it Assures his eternal future. A godless shrewdness wins the praise of the world, so true shrewdness wins the praise of God. Oh, my friends, though every person is only a manager of his property, there is no similarity in the use we are to make of what God gives us in the goods which we are entrusted to one person by another. When the manager of a human master uses his goods to secure his own future, that is deceit. But it is not when we use the property which God has given us to manage in order to benefit eternally from them. No, these are given us for that very purpose. The Lord, therefore, closes his parable with the words, And I tell you, make friends for yourselves by means of unrighteous wealth, so that when it fails, they may receive you into the eternal dwellings. So you see, if God has made you steward over earthly property and gifts, the great danger for you is that you may be summoned some day for a strict accounting and be rejected as an unfaithful steward. But they can and should make it possible for you to earn for yourselves eternal heavenly treasures. Every bit of property which is loaned to us by God is a pound from which we should collect compound interest in heaven. Each is a precious seed from which we should expect an eternal harvest if we have sown properly here. Yes, you can rejoice, my dear hearer, if God has given you a good intellect and opportunity to acquire a wonderful knowledge. Only do not seek your own honor, but be satisfied here below with the manager's pay, food, and clothing. But now, employ these gifts for God's honor and the benefit of your neighbor. You will find a rich eternal harvest for the few years you sowed. And you may rejoice if you hold an important office, are highly honored, respected, and of great influence. Only return to God the honor which they give you, and be also satisfied with your manager's pay, food, and clothing. Faithfully and honestly administer your office for the benefit of your brothers, and all those jobs which cause you pain will some day shine as pearls in your crown. And finally, you whom God has blessed with wealth, may rejoice. Only guard yourself on the one hand against greed and on the other hand against wastefulness. Be also satisfied with your master's pay, food, and clothing. Use the wealth entrusted to you whenever you find opportunity. Consider yourself God's treasurer. Be a father to the poor, a comforter of widows, a benefactor of the needy. Break your bread with the hungry. Give the thirsty drink. Clothe the naked, refresh the sick, lend to the needy. Those who are in misery bring into your house, dry the tears of the weeping, still the sobs of the forsaken, and thus make for yourselves friends of the unrighteous mammon in heaven. And when you will suffer need, when in death some day you will leave something behind and quit the world as poor as when you entered it, then they will receive you into the eternal mansions. As you were rich in temporal possessions, so will you also be rich in the eternal treasures of heaven. Does this doctrine contradict the gospel, which teaches that a person is not admitted into the eternal mansion by works, but alone by grace through faith in Christ Jesus? No, my dear hearers, bear in mind, there can be two reasons why God will receive us into the eternal mansions. Either someone has gotten us admitted into it, or someone certifies our claim to be admitted. Either he is the Lord of heaven or a servant. Now, Christ alone has earned admission into heaven for us, but no person will be admitted but he who has witnessed that he actually believed in Christ. And these witnesses are our brothers, whom we served on earth without possessions and gifts. Now then, my dear hearers, Let us, as poor managers, not only seize Christ in faith, but also prove our faith by a faithful stewardship of our gifts and possessions. Let us make friends with our unrighteous mammon and all that we have, so that we will not be ashamed at the gates of eternity. All those whom we have unselfishly served will, rejoicing, come to meet us. Tell loudly before all the inhabitants of heaven what we have done with our property, and the Lord Jesus himself will say to us, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. Matthew twenty-five, twenty-one. Amen. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be and abide with you all. Amen. You've been listening to Classic Lutheran Preaching, CFW Walther. These sermons are available in two volumes as a part of Walther's Works, Concordia Publishing House, St. Louis, Missouri, cph.org. We thank you for tuning in, and we pray that God's Word has and will continue to be a great blessing in your life.